Thank you, Aline. Hey, youth, thank you for staying. I know that our team has prepared things for our youth today. I just sense that God wanted me to do that, and I believe he's going to speak to our young people in this service. Young people, if you're a teenager in this house, I want you to know you're a vital part of the kingdom of God. Amen. You're a vital part of Return Church. You're not, you're not some subset. You are the church. You're a part of the church, young people, and I want you to understand that, know that. I just feel like... Uh, I hadn't intended that coming into this sanctuary this morning. I didn't intend for them to stick around, but I really feel like the Holy Spirit prompted that. And um, I, I feel like the devil's in trouble this morning. I'm fired up. I've got a green light. I've got a green light to let it rip. So that's what I'm going to do this morning. All right. We're, 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 in, we're still in our Blueprint series, and uh, we're, we're going to do a message today called From Generation to Generation. From generation to generation. We're going to go back to the book of Nehemiah. We've been there a lot over the last several months, but I want to read a passage there again. Nehemiah and Acts are really foundational for this blueprint series, and so we're going to look at two different passages, one in Nehemiah, one in the book of Acts later in this message. But I believe that God's going to speak to us. God's going to do something in this house today. Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs... The Ammonites, the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem, the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were being, beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. The enemy... It's conspiring against the church. Many things that we see in our nation today, culturally and politically, that is a result of an organized, demonic onslaught against the church. They are conspiring against the church. They are attacking the church as these men conspired to attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. This is what the enemy thinks, but he doesn't know what our God knows. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set their people according to their families. That's the key line today. One of the key lines. According to their families, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight We need to fight, church. 
We need a resolve in our spirit to fight. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Fight for your family. Fight for your family. Church, we need to resolve to fight for our family. Amen? Amen. The American church has a big problem. We're Americanized. You know what the problem with America, one of the biggest problems, the biggest cancers that destroys our nation, that has corroded and corrupted our nation? Individualism. We talked about this yesterday in our men's group. Individualism. It stinks. It has no place in the church. Let me say it again. Individualism has no place in the church. The Bible makes a very clear uh, indication that we are distinct individuals gifted with, with very unique giftings, each and every one of us. But those giftings aren't to bring glory to ourselves. They are to edify the body. Amen? Guess what? This church is not about you. This church is not about me. This church is about Jesus and his body and his kingdom and what he's building. Amen? That, that's why you have to leave your preferences in the car. Well, I don't like that kind of music. I don't like that style of preaching. I don't like what they paint. I don't like this. I don't like that. Leave it at the car. It doesn't matter what you like. Can, can I let, let, me give you, let me let you in on a secret. I, I, I'm the senior pastor here. You, you guys remember that? You, you know that... <laughs> well, here, here's the secret. You know that oftentimes what I want... I'm the senior pastor. And oftentimes what I want to happen doesn't happen here. And I'm okay with that. Because it is not about me. You know what? If I had my way, I would do a drum solo every single Sunday. And you all would sit here and enjoy it if I had my way. If I had my way, I'd sing a, a solo every Sunday. Hilton was actually telling me with auto-tune auto that that might be possible one day for me to stand here and sing a solo. But for the good of the body, I don't sing solos. I stick to preaching. If I had my way, I would have never worn a mask to church. I hate masks. This is my personal belief right here, and I could be totally wrong. I don't think the masks help, but that's just my view. But you know what? It's not about me. It's about the church. And so Sunday morning when I come in here, you see me walk in with a mask. You see, individualism doesn't belong in the church. We have to surrender our wills to the purpose of God. I want, I want to show you one of the most misinterpreted verses of Scripture in the, the American church culture today. It is uh, found in, uh, what is it, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Would you put that up on the overhead? 
Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Here's how we misquote this in our, culture, our church culture today. I don't need church. I don't need to go to church. I am the temple of God. That is a great misinterpretation of Scripture. I'm going to pick on somebody. Darren Harris, will you come up here? I love Darren. You know, you pick on people you love, right? Oh, yeah, they usually do. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> this is not representative of the church. I know Darren wants it to be about him, but it, it's not. <laughs> is your father-in-law here today? David, are you here? No. Oh, he ruined my, my, my illustration. He's, he's Ill. David Egan, would you come here? And fill in for David Beatty. Oh. Just pretend you're David Beatty this morning. How about Spencer? I get it. Is Spencer here? Yeah, he's bigger than that back there. Come here, Spencer. Could it be my dad? So just pretend this is David Beatty. <laughs> Same color hair. How you doing, David? Good. Spencer, you saying over here on this side. This is more representative of the church. What we have represented here, I think, is Abraham and David Beatty, Isaac and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is more representative of the church. The church is never about one individual. It's never about one generation. Amen. It's when we all come together to worship. Amen. A strong, this is the pattern, this is the blueprint right here. A strong, healthy church has Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob representative and participating, involvement. We cannot exclude people because they're getting too old. We cannot exclude people because they're too young. <laughs> you pick on the people you love, right? Remember that. He's really old. This is the better representative of the church. For us to take that verse right here and say that this is about one individual, that I am the temple of God, is completely and totally wrong. When he says you are the temple, what he's really saying is, you are the temple. See, in, in the Greek, there, there is some things that we, we miss. And I, I wish maybe Carol was here with her grammar. Eileen, you're a grammar teacher, right? She's a grammar teacher. So in, in, in Greek grammar, and I don't fully understand. This, this was taught to me by one of my mentors. Van Gill explained these concepts to me. But in the Greek, the, the way that that, that word you is, is formed, it, it doesn't mean you individually. It means you all. You all are the temple of the Lord. Not you individually, but you all. Let's put that other translation. This is New King James. Look at the New Living Translation. This is the better translation of the, the Greek. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? That's the way the Greek would literally translate, that you all together are the temple of God. And so don't use some cockamamie excuse that you are the temple of God to, to endorse your rebellion against the church. Because that's what it is. 
It is a kick against the authority that God has established against earth whenever you use that for an excuse not to be a part of a church. That's the reality of that. We need to understand that. This individual is not the church. We are the church. This individual is not the temple of God. We together are the temple of God. We need to understand that. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for allowing me to pick on you this morning. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen? God wants to establish a worshiping church where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are worshiping together. Amen? The generations coming together. Our seniors are valued. Our middle-agers are valued. Our young people are valued. We all have equal value, equal standing, equal worth. We all make equal contributions in this house. Amen. We have, we have some retired pastors in this house. I honor you guys. Amen. Retired ministers, those of you that have served for years, I honor you guys. Your contribution is valued here. We thank God for you. Amen. In fact, if you're, if you're a senior, uh, re retired-ish minister, stand up. I know they're not all here today, but if you're a retired pastor, stand up. Bill, could you stand? Amen. Ted, Brother Howard. And I know we have a few others. Amen. Praise God. Give these guys honor. Amen. God, we just wanted to honor you. No, we're good. We just wanted to honor you. You're, you're good. No. Give me a hug. Appreciate you. Amen. Love you. Thank you. Amen. Praise God. We honor these guys. Amen. And their contributions. We need these men in our church. We need our young people in the church. We honor them. Amen? God wants to build a house together. Amen? Generations coming together. We, we, we looked at this earlier uh, in, in a previous series, but he wants to bring us together. Let's, I want to I go through several scriptures right here, and I want to show you the importance of belonging in the kingdom of God. Let's look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. Amen? Those who are a part of the church have great value. We need to value the members of our household. We need to value the members of our spiritual family. Next verse, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Honor all people. Love all the brotherhood, love the brotherhood, or love the Christian fraternity, love the family of God, fear God, honor the king. You know what the real problem in the church is? It's not that worldliness has crept in. Here's, here's the problem. You know what it is? It's a lack of honor. It's a lack of love for the brotherhood. It's a lack of fear of God. And it's a lack of submission to authority. It's all wrapped up right there in that verse. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Honor authority. These are the real issues that we have in the, pro in the church. We have a problem with authority. We have a problem with submission. The Bible calls us to be submitted one to another. Amen? We are to be subject one to another. Watchman Knees said that, that fish swim, birds fly, and Christians submit. 
If you have a problem with submission, you have a soul sickness. If you have a problem with accountability, you have a cancer eating at your soul. You need to be connected to the church. You need the authority of the church in your life. No Christian can do well without it. We cannot thrive without it. God sets us, and we're going to look at this as we go through. Two are better than one. Ecclesiastes said that. Two are better than one. God put us into the kingdom together. The Bible says in Psalm 68, verse 6, that God sets the solitary into families. You cannot be a Lone Ranger Christian and be healthy. God wants to put you in his family. God wants to set you in the church. Individualism does not work in the kingdom of God. Ephesians 2 and 6 says, He's raised us up together, together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 21 through 22 says, In whom the whole body fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. See, God is building us together to be a habitation for his Spirit. He has put us together. We can't do this thing alone. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16 says, from, the whole, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint Look at the person next to you. You are joined together. Look on the other side of the one that you don't like. Just kidding. <laughs> we are joined together. The Holy Spirit has bound us together. If you are Christ, you are a part of his body. There may be somebody in this room that you do not like, but you belong to them, and they belong to you. Get over it. Amen? We are joined together. It's the work of God. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, it makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Amen? My prayer, prayer for Return Church is we become a body where we edify, where there's body ministry that takes place. If there's something sick in our body, that the other members of the body would come and surround it, like the blood cells that, that render aid to the wounded part of the body. Amen. That we would love one another, that we would build each other up, that we would no longer speak evil of each other. Think about it. Let's look at another passage. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 15. He says, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but I am delayed. I write, write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. What is the house of God? It's the church of God. And it is not, it's not this edifice, it's not this structure, it is a family. Remember that, the, the, the messages that we did earlier on in this series where we said Jesus, he, he says, I am going to build my church on this rock 
and the gates of hell were not prevailed against it. Remember we looked at that, and it's the Greek word, I will build oikotome, my ecclesia, right? The word oikotome, it means to build as a family, my church, my gathering, my called out ones. I'm going to build them as a family. The body of Christ is the church. Amen? The household of faith, it is the church of God. We are members one another. God has set us together. As we read in, in, in Ephesians, he has fitly framed us together. He has set us together. I, I like what the, the psalmist said. David said, he said that the, 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 uh, the, the steps of the righteous man are ordered of the Lord. If you look at that in the, in the actual Hebrew text, I can't read Hebrew, but somebody told me this. Who does? If you look at that verse in Hebrew, here's what it literally says. The steps of the righteous man are ordered of the Lord. Here's how it would literally translate. The companionships of the warrior are divinely orchestrated. God orders our steps, but what it really means is that he, he orchestrates our relationships. It's not an accident that God brought the Hayes family here. It was orchestrated. God has set us together. He is building a family. We need to understand that. Amen? All right, so let's, let's move on. Here's my Acts passage. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Now this is after the Holy Spirit has fallen, right? These men see these baptized Christians, baptized in the Spirit of God, coming out of the, the upper room, speaking in tongues. They, they hear these, these uh, Hebrew believers glorifying God. Now you, you realize this is Passover. There, there are Jews from all over the world, Jews that speak all kinds of languages that have come together for Passover. And they hear these men, they, they come out of the upper room, they're speaking in tongues. And this is not unknown tongues. They're, they're speaking in the tongues of the nations, glorifying God. And the people, the spectators, the people that are gathered there in that Passover season, they, they hear these men glorifying God in their languages and they're astounded. It's a miraculous thing. So this is the scene and Peter begins to preach the gospel to them. And he, be, he begins to tell them, look, you crucified Jesus. You did it. But it was the plan of God. And this is the message that, that Peter pre pre preaches to them. And, and, and at the end of that message, this is what happens. It says, therefore, let all of those, this is the conclusion of the message, let all of those in the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And it says, when they heard this message that Peter had preached, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what should we do to be saved? And Peter says to them, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But look at this, this last line right here. It says, for this promise is to you and your children and to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord God shall call. 
This is for you and your children and your children's children and their children. See, this kingdom thing is supposed to extend from generation to generation through our families. Amen? We need to make sure that our families are saved. I heard someone say that if we win the world and lose our families, we leave the church without a heritage. That's true. Woe be it unto me if I lead this church and we see thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people impacted as a result of that ministry, but my own children go to hell. Woe be it unto me. I have failed, no matter how many tens of thousands, if I can't lead my own family into the kingdom of the Lord. That's my first job. That's my first priority in life, is that my family is healthy spiritually, that they're provided for, that we give them leadership. We set an example before them. That is my first priority. If I fell that priority, I fell this church. Amen? I believe that if a minister is committed to his family, it's the best thing that he can do for the local church. Amen? It has to be our first ministry. Men and women, let me encourage you. Don't give your life to the corporation. You know why? The corporation will not carry your bones. Let me go off script here for just a second. Let, let, let's look over in, in Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. I'm going to go King James here because I carried my grandpa's Bible to church this morning. But King James, Genesis 20 verse, or 50 verse 22. Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house. His father's house. Listen, I want to encourage you to read the genealogies. The genealogies are not filler material. When when men write books, they put filler material, so it looks like they had something substantive to say. God did not put any filler material into his word. Every word of God is important. The genealogies are... One of my favorite things to read in the Bible is the genealogies. True story. And the greetings and salutations. Most Christians, when they read the Bible, they, they skip the genealogies and the greetings and salutations. There is so much rich, deep spiritual truth in the genealogies and the greetings and salutations. Don't skip it. Read it and allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate it to your eyes so you'll see the truth that God's trying to convey through it. Every word of God is pure and powerful. And at the entrance of that word, it will bring light. Even the genealogies. Amen? Don't skip the genealogies. They're, they're important. So his father's house, and Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, and children, the children of Makar, Makir, the, the son of Manasseh, who brought up, who, who were brought up, I should say. I'm reading King James. I'm stumbling here been a while, were brought up upon Joseph's knee. I want to say this. Chuck, when I read this, I thought of you, man. I thought about your, you and your grandkids. That's a beautiful thing, man. Keep raising those babies. Keep bringing them to the house of the Lord. Amen. 
It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I see him bringing his grandchildren in here on Sunday morning. That is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's a picture of this verse. It says that, that Makar's, Makir's children were raised on Joseph's knees. Makir was the son of Manasseh, who was Joseph's son. This is the third generation of his children. And they were raised upon Joseph's knees. Daddy, get your kids on your knees. Or better yet, get on your knees. I heard somebody say that a father never stands so tall as when he gets down on his knees. Amen? We need to remember that's our most important priority, our children and our grandchildren. Let's not forget that. Amen? May your children and grandchildren have fond memories. I was thumbing through this Bible this morning. It's got my grandfather's handwriting, his notes. And I thought of the fond memories of a godly grandfather. It's impacting me today. And it's impacting Nathan, Noah, wherever he's at, Jensen. Are you boys here? You all skipping church. <laughs> there they are, way back in the back. What's wrong with that? <laughs> we need to raise our grandkids, our kids. Amen? Let's bring them up in the things of the Lord. Verse 24, Joseph said unto, the, unto his brethren, I die. And God will surely visit you and, you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he spared to Abra swear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. There's the generations. And Joseph took an oath to the, uh, of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Joseph was, was a man with great influence in Egypt. But you know what was greater to Joseph than his influence in Egypt? His family. Though he was a corporate man, he never put the corporation above his family. What was Joseph's dream? It made his brothers mad, but do you know what it was, his dream was? That he would bless his brothers. And he did. He blessed his father's household. And he blessed his children and his children's children and his children's children. There is a generational curse that is visited upon our children's 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 children. The Bible says that the wickedness of a man will be visited to the fourth and fifth generation. What does that mean? If I live a sinful lifestyle, it is going to impact to the fourth and fifth generation. But here's the greater promise. The Bible says that the, the, the blessing of the righteous is this, that, the, that the, the, the children of the righteous men will be blessed to a thousand generations. Amen? Amen. You know what that means? Hey. Sin, sin goes to the fourth and fifth generation, but righteousness to a thousand generations. The blessing is greater than the curse. Amen? My righteous living, my choice to follow Jesus, my choice to obey the commands of his word, it will bless, it's, it's far greater than any sin. You think about that. That's the promise of God's word. 
That is the promise of God's word. So let's come back on script. This promise is to you, to your children, and to all that are far off. God wants the kingdom to perpetuate from generation to generation. I call it the unbroken line. That there is generational continuity from grandpa to daddy to the children and to the grandbabies. That this thing should be passed from generation to generation. Sometimes it is in the family line. Our natural families are a great blessing, but sometimes it is a spiritual thing. There's a model of this, I think, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. A lot of you have heard me say that, 2 Tim 2, 2, right? One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Paul says to Timothy, the things that I have taught you, find faithful men and teach them that they in turn will teach others. Right there in that, that verse, there are four generations. Paul, who taught Timothy. Timothy, who's finding faithful men and teaching them. And then those faithful men finding more men and teaching them. That is the way this thing is meant to perpetuate. God intends for this thing to go from generation to generation. We talked about this a while back, but Pentecost broke every single barrier in the church. Remember that? We looked at, at uh, the prophet Joel. In the, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your young men will, will uh, see visions. Your old men will dream dreams, right? Remember that? We looked at that passage, and we showed how it broke the racial barrier. It broke the gender barrier. It broke the generational barrier, and it broke all the social barriers. Amen? There is no generational barrier. The old people aren't valued any more than the young people or the middle-agers or anybody in between. All of those boundaries have been brought down by the cross of Jesus Christ and his ascending to the right hand of the Father and pouring his spirit out on the flesh. Amen? The Holy Spirit comes to our lives and it breaks down every single barrier. See, God sees what we don't see. We, we have a very, very limited perspective. We, we see day to day. We see what's in front of us. But God has a perspective from everlasting to everlasting. He said through the prophet Isaiah, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all of my pleasure. He knows the end from the beginning. God sees from everlasting to everlasting He's got an eternal perspective. He has a generational perspective. We have a me perspective. We have a living in the moment perspective. All we can see is our circumstances. All we can see is what's dominating us in this moment. All we can see is the bills. All we can see is the ladder that I can climb, the success that I can have. And we live in the moment, in the now, and God wants to broaden our perspective so that we might see as he sees. I say this all the time, but do you know why the enemy hates prayer? He hates it because it exalts your perspective above his lies. 
It exalts your perspective above your limited scope in this world. It elevates you to heavenly places to see as he sees, that your, the eyes of your understanding can see, and you can make a decision that says, you know what, I can make a decision in this moment, and I can find real fulfillment. I, I, could, I could benefit from this if I do this right here in the moment, but in the reality, that is a compromise and a sin that you're about to partake in, and when you pray and get a different perspective, it allows you to make a different perspective that's not for the here and now, but that it will impact your generations in a positive way for many years to come. Because you've got a different outlook. You've got a different perspective. God wants to broaden our perspective. He wants to vault our limited perspectives that we can see as he sees, that we can get a heavenly perspective, that we can get counsel from the one who sees from everlasting to everlasting, that we wouldn't think in the temporal, but that we would think in the eternal that we wouldn't think in the present and what it, how it affects me, but we would begin to think about it generationally and how it's going to affect my children and my grandchildren. God wants to change our perspective. God sees a generational movement that we can, cannot even comprehend. You see your grandkids and you think, oh my goodness, what is wrong with these children? You know what God sees? He sees a revolutionary. He sees a prophet. He sees a soul winner. He sees a disciple maker. Amen? We got to begin to see it the way that he sees it. See, you know, you, know how, you know what people think when they look at your kids? They think, oh my goodness, there's the kind of kids I don't want my kids to play with. When people look at your children and your grandchildren, sometimes they see weeds. Sometimes that's what we see. We were out on the ranch. I'm a retired cowboy. We're out on the ranch in South Texas. We were working. It was a Saturday. My, my uncle was out there working with us. It was me, my uncle, my cousins. My aunt comes out, and she's, she, my uncle sends her for a bucket of chicken. That's when you got to get a bucket of chicken. I don't know if you can still do that. We used, it was, I think it was a bucket of KFC. And, they, and she came back with that, biscuits and corn and this, the fixings, and we sat down at, at this picnic table under this little gazebo, and we had lunch. And as we're eating our lunch, my uncle, he says, boys, after we're done eating, I want you to go to the shop. I want you to get a sickle and come down and cut down all this grass. You see that tree right there? I want you to get a stick and stake it off. Bring a string. We'll, 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 we'll uh, you know, string it up so it'll grow straight. And we're like, what What tree? Looks like a bunch of weeds. All we could see was the weeds. But he saw the tree. You know that 10 years later, we sat under that tree and had shade. Shade is a very valuable commodity in South Texas. That weed grew into a shade tree. It's a picture of Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, that if you'll train up your children in the way that they should go, when they are old, they will not depart from it. Keep training them. Don't look at what you're seeing. Don't look at how they let you down. Don't look at the disappointments. Don't look at all the influences, the negativity that's coming their way. No, keep your eyes on the prize. Think generationally. Think eternally. Get a perspective like God sees and see your children through the eyes of God as a generation changer, as a revolutionary. See them as a soul winner and a disciple maker. 
acre. Get a different look at, outlook on your children. When other people see the weeds, you've got to choose to see the tree. Amen? Amen. Praise God. And we need to realize, sometimes God plants something in us that we'll never see the fulfillment of in our lifetime. We'll never see the fulfillment of it in our lifetime. Sometimes God plants something in you that will bud in your children and blossom in your grandchildren. But it will produce fruit in many generations. There's a psalm, I, I don't remember which one it is right now off the top of my head, but there's a psalm that says your, your children, they'll be like olive plants around your table. Your children will be like olive plants around your table. It takes a lot of time, a lot of nurture, a lot of care, a lot of attention to take an olive tree from the seed to the place where it bears fruit. It takes 13 years of tedious care and attention before an olive plant will ever bear fruit. 13 years. Sounds like a child, doesn't it? You know that there are olive trees in the Garden of Gethsemane they were there when Jesus was there. And they are still producing fruit today. It takes a lot of care, a lot of time, and a lot of attention. But if you will sow that care, time, and attention into your children, they will bear fruit that will last through the generations. We've got to get a different perspective. When it comes to leaving a legacy, our, our goal is not to be, cons uh, to, 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 to be, it's not concerned about being remembered. The goal is that we can make a contribution which will cause a kingdom impact throughout succeeding generations. That's our goal. Amen? Joseph gave a command concerning his bones. There's a day coming when God's going to take you up out of Egypt, take you into the land which he swore to our fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When you go, you're getting goosebumps. Take me with you. Men, let me say it again, don't spend your life on the corporation. Are you going to spend your life or are you going to invest it? We need to invest our life in the next generation. The corporation will not carry your legacy. If you give your life to the corporation, you will soon be forgotten. But if you sow to your children, they'll carry your bones into the future. They may forget your name, but that legacy, that godly legacy, the godly heritage 
will be perpetuated. I, I could care less if my great-grandkids never hear the name Chad Hayes, but if they hear the name Jesus, that's the legacy. Amen? And let, let me encourage you, dads. You don't have to be perfect to be a dad. You just need to be present. I don't have it all together. That's all right. Bring what you have. I, I don't feel like I have, I, I have an adequate job to support my wife. That's all right. Just bring what you got. God will honor that. We don't have to have it together. We're connected to the one that does. Amen? The Holy Spirit comes. The Bible says he'll lead you and guide you into all truth. That's not just so that you have an understanding of the Bible. The Holy Spirit will come and lead you to be a father, to be a husband. Amen? To meet you in your shortcomings and help you to lead that family through. I believe that. I got two more passages of Scripture and we're going to be done. Psalm 112. Let's look at this. We're going to make a declaration at the end of this verse. Praise you the Lord. Blessed is the man that fears the Lord, that delights greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon the earth, and the generation of the upright shall be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. I want everybody to say this. My seed shall be mighty. And I want you to say it like you mean it. My, my seed shall be mighty. My seed shall be mighty. And my generations shall be blessed. And my generations shall be blessed. Come on, let's say it again. My seed shall be mighty. My seed shall be mighty. And my generations shall be blessed. And my generations shall be blessed. Amen. There is a blessing of generational continuity from generation to generation. The kingdom is advanced. Amen. One more passage. Let's look at uh, let's see, Psalm 122. Psalm 122, verses 1 through 3. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And now, here we are, standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. Gates, 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 walls, gates. We've got to see what the Lord's building here. Here we are standing inside your gates, O Jerusalem. Check this out. Jerusalem is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be breached. This is a psalm written in the time of David. Think about what David says here. Jerusalem is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be breached. Fast forward a few hundred years. There's a prophet, Jeremiah, crying against the city, repent and turn back to God or these walls will be lying in rubble. Fast forward again and Nehemiah arrives to rebuild those walls. Sin will destroy the walls. Compromise will cause the walls of our life to be broken down. We've got to contend for the city. Nehemiah shows up and says, let's fight for our city. Let's fight for our family. 
Let's fight to get these walls back up. Let's, re, let's fight to set the gates back on their hinges. Let's fight so that there's safety, so that there's peace. Let's fight so that there can be generational continuity, that there will be a refuge, that our generations will be able to come in and find safety. Let's fight, let's fight, let's fight. Jerusalem is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be breached. In 2015, we, we traveled to 27 states. I probably preached on that verse right there in all 27 of those states. And we used to do an exercise where we would stand up in those churches and we would lock arms. And we would say that Jerusalem is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be breached. Jerusalem is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be breached. Return church is a well-built city. Its seamless walls cannot be breached. Amen? When the walls are strong, the enemy can't come in. Let, let's stand together. I'm going to ask our worship team to come in and join me up here. We're going to do an exercise right now. Listen to me. Anything or anybody that you see causing disruption and disunity is being used of the enemy. I want you to hear this statement. If you ever hear anybody speaking ill of anyone else, they are the mouthpiece of the enemy. If you speak disparagingly of any individual, you are being used of the devil. If you are slandering them, if you are gossiping, you have allied yourself with our arch enemy, Satan. That, that cannot be said enough. Gossip and slander and backbiting is a cancer that plagues the church. Stop it. Stop it. Satan was the accuser of the brethren. You know what's happened? He's been cast down. There's no longer place for Satan in heaven. He's come down, as Revelation says, with great wrath, knowing that he has a short time. He no longer has access before the throne. In the Old Testament, he did at the cross. That was done away with, destroyed by the work of the cross. He cannot come before the throne of God and accuse you. So you know what he'll do? He'll whisper in somebody's ear, go and accuse them. Go and slander. Go speak evil of them. Go remind them of their faults and their weakness and their sinfulness. That's what the enemy does because he can no longer go before the throne of God and do it. He will go to the brethren and try to sow discord amongst us. Don't ally yourself with our enemy. Speak well of one another at all times. At all times. If you've got a problem with someone, be man enough to go with them humbly, as Galatians uh, chapter uh, 6 says, that you would consider yourself first, lest you be overcome with the same fault. And go to restore them. Not to put them in their place. Not to tell them off. Not to give them a black eye. Not to put them down or put them in their place or set them straight. 
Go with the heart of restoration. Unity. 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 We need unity in the house of God. We need love. We need honor. We need subjection. We need unity in the house of God. Amen? We need unity in our families. We need to contend for it. Refuse. Fighting for your family, fighting for your church family is refusing to hear the talk. The enemy needs an ear to propagate his slander. Don't give it to him. When somebody comes to put somebody down, say, I don't want to hear that, please. Talk to the hand, the face ain't looking. Isn't that what the kids used to say? I don't want to hear that stuff. I don't want you putting people down around me. I don't want you slandering people. Please don't bring that to me. I don't want to hear bad news about folks. I already knew. I already knew they were stinking sinners. I already knew it. I already knew they were battling the flesh. I'm praying they're going to overcome. Amen? I'm getting ready after Easter to preach on worship, and then I'm going to preach on the gifts of the Spirit. Amen. In both series, in both of those series, sermon series that are coming up, unity. That's the great theme in both series, unity. We need unity in our worship. We need unity. The gifts should bring unity. We need clarity. Everything needs to be done decently and in order. Everything should be done to edify, to build up the body. We're going to look at that. How many of you would like to experience something greater than Acts chapter 2? Where the Spirit of God was poured out on the church. Amen? On that day, 3,000 people saved. Leonard Ravenhill prophesied. He said there's coming a Pentecost that's going to out-Pentecost Pentecost. Amen. So let it be. I'm looking for it. But here's what the Holy Spirit's telling me. We will never see it. We'll never see anything greater than Acts chapter 2 until we get to a place that's greater than Acts chapter 1. They were together in unity, in one accord. And suddenly, suddenly, we need unity in our worship. We need unity in ministry. Unity in the gifts. The gifts should never divide us. The gifts should never cause confusion. They should bring unity and health and strength and vibrance to our worship experience. Amen? Amen? They should never glorify the individual. They should always point to Jesus. We're going to see that. We're going to strive towards unity, and I believe we're going to see an outpouring of God's Spirit that we cannot even comprehend. Let me encourage you in your worship, whatever's going on in this house, engage in it. Because when we get to the point where we're all singing the same thing and we're all clapping together and we're all lifting our hands together, the Spirit of God is going to fall on us in a powerful, powerful way. We've got to be doing the same things. We're going to practice this just once before we leave. Unity. But listen to the words of, of, of Genesis chapter 11 about a bunch of heathens 
A bunch of heathens that are striving, the heathen nations striving to build a tower to heaven. And this is what God says about them. This is what God himself says about the heathens. They're all of one speech, saying the same thing and doing the same thing. Therefore, nothing shall be impossible to them, for them. If God says that about heathens, yeah. how much more so the children of God? All of the wicked politicians and overseers of the world cannot affect the church when we stand in unity. Amen. Amen. We've got to come together in unity. I want to sing this song. Shannon, can you sing that song? Let's sing this. We're going to sing this. It's, a, it's a, a, a phrase that repeats, and I want us to sing this until it resounds in this sanctuary. I want you to lift your voices and sing this song. Go ahead. That, that song about... Uh, uh, there's nothing we want more. Yeah, there's nothing more. There's nothing we want more. Let's sing that.